I don't know where it was. Um, if you look at the first slide for, for today, our, our, our title, I don't know where it was, but there, I think there was a meeting and something was being shared at this meeting and, and then somebody uh, questioned what was being shared and their, their comment was, uh, I've got a but and it's a big one. And I know in the UK we don't refer to people's bottoms or backsides as butts, but uh, I suppose because it was an American program, you recognize that uh, the words that that person said could be taken uh, a number of ways. The thing that I want to just talk about this morning, just briefly, is, is talking, just highlighting the fact that we have this honor and this privilege of allowing God to do what only God can do. Let me just share with you from uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And this is um, in the New American Standard Version. I'll, I'll explain why in, in a moment. But these are the words that uh, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The New American Standard starts that section with the words, but God. So prior to that, Paul has been speaking about and writing for us the, the fact that we are away from God. Those who don't know Jesus, those who are not in relationship with God through Christ, we are not going to a nice place. We are separated and then Paul turns it on its head and says, but God. And it needed God's movement. The only thing that could change our personal situation was the intervention of God himself. That's for us in the New American Standard. If you look at the um, NIV, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. So, when you're putting together a sermon, sometimes you've got to find the version that says what you want to say. It's just a little bit of practical work there. But God, that's the key thing. But God, but God, whatever you're going through, whatever you're finding a challenge at this moment, whatever is squeezing on your resources, whatever is draining your emotions at this moment in time, remember that you have a but God moment. This is the wonder of a relationship with God, is that he steps into our challenges and he turns them around. If you go through the scriptures, you find this phrase many times, and this was one of the wonderful things that I was able to spend time on this week. Check out just a few of the but God encounters says this in the, the first book of the bible genesis the waters flooded the earth for 150 years but god remembered noah 
And all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. This was the tragedy, this was the difficulty, but God intervened. This beautiful verse here from um, later on in Genesis talking about Joseph. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream and no one could interpret. But I have heard it said that you, uh, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Then Joseph responds. This is his beautiful response. He says, I cannot do it. Joseph replied replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. When you find yourself in that difficult situation where you don't have the resources or you don't have the answers, we go to a verse like this in the book of Genesis and say, well, I don't have it, but God may very well step into this situation. Again, about uh, the, the situation with Joseph. His brothers rejected him, sold him into slavery. We come to the last uh, part of, of his story. And, and Joseph is testifying to his brothers about what has been going on. And he says, but you intended to harm me. That's what they wanted to do. They were going to kill him, throw him in a pit, sold him out to slavery. Your intention was to harm me, but God, I love it. There may be those who are against you. There may be circumstances and situations that you are struggling with at this moment in time where you think everything is dark, but God is going to step in. We believe that he will intervene. He will step in. He will change the circumstances. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You may look at things that you're going through at this moment in time and think that God is distant and disconnected. We were having a meal last night with some friends and uh, we were just chatting a little bit about our history, the journey from where we were for 17 and a half years in Bexhill and then coming here to Basingstoke back in uh, 2016, beginning of 2017. And it was very difficult at that time for us to see how God was at work. We saw the evidence of uh, control, manipulation. We saw a lot of evidence of individuals who had an agenda, But the reality is, God was in that. God is there. And the but God moment just needed to come back to us to remember that as difficult as that was, he's brought us through. But God. And this goes on. It goes on. Uh, 2 Samuel 14, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. That sounds great, doesn't it? But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. From the very beginning, God's desire is to draw us back to himself. But God moments. It says in the book of Psalms, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When we are feeling at our lowest, when we feel at our weakest, let's have a but God encounter, recognizing that his desire is to strengthen us and to empower us. In the book of Luke, he said to them, this is Jesus, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. 
What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So many people justify who they are, what they're doing, the way they're behaving, and believe that God doesn't know and God doesn't see. But Jesus' words, he brings it back in and says, but God knows your hearts. You can't hide from him. But the thing about it is we don't want to hide from him because he is pursuing us. His desire is to awaken in us his amazing love towards us. I'm after you. I'm pursuing you. I'm chasing you. And the thing about it is the reconciliation of the relationship that God wants to have with us, that which was divided when sin came into the world, that reconciliation, the reuniting could only be done when a sacrifice was made. Something that was perfect, someone that was perfect, had to take on board everything that we've done wrong. I love this verse from the book of Acts. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses to this. You killed him. You thought that this was the end, but God has raised him up again. And, and the beautiful message of the gospel that is for all people comes alive in, in Acts 10. He said to them, this is Peter, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God, do you remember this story with the, the sheet coming out of heaven full of all these animals? And, and God says to Peter, that, you know, take, eat eat it and there's those things that were sacred and shouldn't have been eaten and there's those things that were dirty in their minds that shouldn't have been eaten and he said take it you can have it and then the next moment there's a call for Peter to go around to Cornelius's house and then what happens there is a connection between Jews and Gentiles and the truth of the matter is that God says my message of love is for all people but God has shown me I should not call any man impure or unclean. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says this, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth, which is brilliant, isn't it? Because that fits us all in. We think to ourselves, you know, I've got to be something before God is going to be drawn to me or allow me to be part of his perfect plan. But the Apostle Paul turns it around and says, no, you haven't got to be anything because none of us are anything. Not many of us were influential. Not many of us are of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things like me. God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And when we look at what God is doing around us, and, and when we look at uh, his plans and purposes for the nations, we look and think to ourselves, how can we be involved in it? This is beyond us. And then you get uh, Paul saying these words in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. When we think about the work that God is doing amongst us here in Basingstoke, we've got to be faithful. We continue to plant the seed. We share the love of God. What are we doing as a church? King's Cafe starts on Tuesday. It's lovely, isn't it, to serve uh, soup in a roll and some other bits and pieces to... Uh, 
give into the community, to, to share with our neighbors the, the goodness of God. But ultimately, ultimately, what do we want to do is we want to help people have an encounter with Jesus through people like us. The way that we love on people is a reflection of how we've been loved on by God himself. So when we see that I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. We've got to be faithful in planting the seed. What can we do? How can we work with our community? How can we love on our community? How can we show that we care to our community? And as we serve, then there'll be somebody else who waters, but ultimately God will make it grow. And I love this word here from uh, Hebrews. Now, I will miss that one out because that'll take me on another tangent altogether. But from that piece of scripture in Ephesians 2, we have this introduction that, but God. But God is turning things around. And, and I looked at these verses in, in, uh, from verse 4 to 7, and I, I can see there's, there's, there's three breaking points in it. They, they talk about us being dead, dominated, and doomed. That's good. I uh, like a good Spurgeon-type breaking down of three points. Same letters, dead, dominated and doomed and the thing about it is when you look through this you recognize that we were dead in our transgressions we could do nothing for ourselves we were dominated by the world we were influenced by satan we were finding the flesh our own desires were overtaking us but in response to that god raised us up with him so when we were dominated by the world and the enemy, God stepped in and raised us up and seated us with him so that he would oversee us. And then it talks about the fact that we were doomed. That our eternal destiny was a place you couldn't get any further from the God who created us. Yet Paul here says that the doomed has been transformed, that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and his kindness towards us, rather than uh, destruction. He's drawn us to himself. Quarter past 11. I got three points. <laughs> that was the introduction. Ah, here's three points. I'm asking a real simple question. Why did God save us? Here's the first point. He saved us by uh, responding to our lostness with his love. Looking at these verses from Ephesians as we're coming to the Lord's table. God recognized that we are lost without him. And the way that he wants to draw us back and help us to understand that we are part of his family, that we belong, is by him sharing his love. It says here in uh, verses 4 and 5, because of his great love, we are not consumed. I love it. It's not just because of his love. It's because of his great love. We have love. God has great love. There is nothing that's beyond the love that God has for us. Nothing picks up on the enormity of that love. Like Paul writes for us in Romans. For God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
This is the enormity of his great love. His great love would stoop down to our disobedience. It would find itself in the dirt that we have made so that we can be lifted up out of it and seated with him in heavenly places, that we can be welcomed into a relationship with our heavenly father. And the beauty of it is, is that this is something that has happened that we need to appropriate upon our lives right now. It says here that, uh, if we go back to that verse again, he says that because of his great love for which he loved us. It's not the fact that he loves us, but he loved us. And we go back to 2,000 years ago and we say, how did you show us that you loved us? Well, he showed us that he has loved us by the sacrifice of his son. It says these words in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. You're loved, but not only loved here and now, in 2021 but you have been loved since Jesus opened up his arms upon the cross 2,000 years ago because that is how much God wants you to know that you are loved it happened then and it is still being appropriated today look at these words 1 John 4 this is love not that we've loved God but that he has loved us and sent his son to as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Ephesians, live a life of love just as Christ loved us. How did he love us? He went to the cross for us. Oh, here's a verse. Can you say this with me? Read this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. <laughs> He loved us. That's what Paul's trying to get across, is that there was this time when God showed with absolute clarity your value when Jesus died for you. So our lostness, he responded to our lostness with his love. He responded to our misery with his mercy. Again, just like we had great love, we now have rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. And this whole understanding of mercy is the fact that God would step in and take away from us the pain that our sinfulness has brought. That is the mercy, that mercy of God would step in. And there's these times you think to yourself, I would love to step in and be the person who is uh, receiving whatever the pain is that somebody that you love is going through. I can remember visiting uh, Ben in hospital and Ben had just had a, 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 an operation on his chin, a major operation, and we catch up with him and he's in his bed in a, on a hospital ward and he's wired up and there's drips and all sorts of stuff and the things, bandages around his face and stuff. And the mercy of a father is that I don't want my boy going through this. I want to take that away from him. I don't like that he is uncomfortable in pain and in this hospital bed. And my 
passion and my desire, my mercy would be that I, I want to take that on myself. I don't want you to go through that. And that's the same as our God who is rich in mercy. He doesn't want you to be affected by the sin of the world. He says, I want to take this away from you. So our misery has been responded to by his, his mercy. And the last thing I just want to say is that he responded to our guilt with his grace. These words here, he made us alive again with Christ by grace that you have been saved. There's that beautiful phrase that so often is used with regard to grace. Grace standing for God's riches at Christ's expense. The mercy of God takes away the pain. And the grace of God gives us what we don't deserve. We get the riches. We get the inheritance. We get the glory of a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we've done nothing. We've done nothing. Paul picks up on this in, in uh, chapter, 12, uh, sorry, yeah, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. He says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, whatever has happened... And God said, my grace will cover that. You're not beyond the grace of our Heavenly Father. Whatever you may think of yourself, that's not the way that he thinks of you. His grace is sufficient for you. And I love the way he just taps in there that, you know, my power is made perfect in weakness. It's not about being strong. It's not about being bold. It's not being a, an, an overcomer. It's actually being one who says, Lord, I need you. And he gives us everything that we need. When we come to the Lord's table today, it's a beautiful meal. Everybody is invited. The invitation is not from me or the church, the denomination. It's an invitation from Jesus himself. Come and take and eat. Because it is a meal that speaks of how loved we are. It's a meal that just recognizes the riches of God's mercy. And it's a meal that absolutely encompasses God's move of grace towards you and towards me. It's very, very simple. Wherever you find yourself, don't forget the but God moment. Being overwhelmed, but God. Feeling rejected, but God. At the end of your tether, but God. Recognizing your own shortcomings, but God. When you're at the end of your resources, but God. And the invitation that he brings to each and every one of us is that he desires to meet with you. And what a better place to do that than around the table. We'll be sharing bread and wine together in a few moments. The worship team are going to come and lead us. As we vocalize our thanksgiving to God by saying thank you for the cross. Thank you for the way that you've made it so clear of the abundance of your love for me.